0: an intention to prayer, a commitment to prayer, desire to pray, a plan to pray, and yet it seems to be the thing that is always ushered to the back of the line. It seems to be the thing that we do only if there's enough time. I might ask you today... As you rolled out of bed this morning, if you were confronted with the question, what is the most important thing that you have to do today? And I wonder what your answer might be. What is the most important thing that you have to do today? I might even give you a couple of seconds to ponder that and think about that. And I wonder how you might answer that. I want to suggest to you this morning that there is nothing more important every single day of our lives that we take the time to thank God for what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Every day. To make a priority of that every day, to focus and think about the cross and what it means in our lives. I want to say that when a person comes to a place where, with a purity of heart, truly, truly meaning in his heart, that person comes to a place where he is able to say, God, I thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on a cross for my sins. When that prayer is is first uttered in a person's life, that is the time that that person moves from outside of God's wrath to inside of God's family and becomes a member of God's family. It is that thought, it is that attitude, it is that prayer God Thank you for sending your son to die on a cross to take my sins away, to, to take me away from being an object of your wrath, to make me your child, to adopt me into your family, that you gave me your Holy Spirit to guarantee my eternal destiny. There is nothing in our lives that is more important Than doing that. Not only is that the time when we move from under God's wrath into His family, but that is the heart and that is the attitude that sustains us in our Christian life. It is our greatest resource. Prayer is what I'm talking about, a focus on the cross is what I'm talking about. And I'm suggesting to you this morning, church family, that we do not pray as we ought. This is, is, uh, is an issue that that someone in my position would, would ask the question, why is it, if this is the most important thing we can do in a day, why is it that we don't have... More of a priority in prayer. More of a focus on prayer. Why don't we pray? I think that there are multiple reasons for that. I could talk about our our selfishness. That every single one of us battle and struggle with some degree of selfishness. So much so that focusing on the person of Jesus and focusing on the cross and spending time, focused time with Jesus is so difficult for us. Because we've got so much going on in our lives that need our attention. Things that that we need to to figure out things that we need to orchestrate, things that we need to get done, things that we worry about. And you would have to admit to me that just like I do, you struggle in that time of prayer, of focusing on Jesus because all of these other things begin to creep in. I think that another way to put that is prayer is work. It's work. And we don't think of prayer that way. But to, but to commit to a, a, a focus for a period of time on spiritual things, on the cross, and on Jesus is work for us. Jesus teaches us that, that when we pray that 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 should not be a a casual thing. We have gotten very flippant about prayer. I mean, the fact that the last two Sundays, it was on the order of service. It was even in your sermon notes at the end of the sermon notes. Let's pray together is what I put. We just didn't have time. Too many other things to do. And yet that was the most important thing that we could have done. Today, we're going to pray. Today, we're going to learn how hard it is to pray. Today, you're going to see that prayer is work. The Bible says, I think it's in 1 Peter chapter 4, that when we pray, we should be sober-minded. The opposite of sober is drunk. That that when we pray, that that there ought to be this this intentionality, this this focus, this this intensity on what we're doing. That our minds have to be sober-minded. That they have to be, be given to what we are doing. That they have to be, Uh, lacking distraction, focus, that's how we're to pray. Over in Ephesians chapter 6, it says that when you pray, you ought to be alert. You ought to be sober-minded when you pray. You ought to be alert when you pray. Alert really is the opposite of asleep. (laughs) That we ought to be awake that we ought to, ought to have an understanding of, of what we're doing. You know what alert is. You have things in your life where, that, that, that require you to be alert students have a, a test coming up and they make a commitment that, that I'm going to focus on this. I'm going to be alert. I'm going to be ready. I'm going to give myself to it. We have projects that we do. We have to-do lists, to-do lists and we think to ourselves, I'm going to be alert. I'm going to be focused. I'm going to give myself to this. I hope that husbands and wives have a date night every once in a while when they say to one another and they say to themselves, man, this is a time you've got me. You've got all of me I'm not going to be thinking about anything else just you and me this is our time together you see we have the capacity to do that we just struggle doing that with prayer be sober-minded it says be alert I struggle with this I set aside time to pray is this your experience I've little doubt that it is And I begin to pray and all of a sudden in in this time of prayer, I know how to start, you know, dear heavenly father, you know, I know, Holy Spirit, I sense your presence. And then it's, you know, the, the day timer and then it's relationships. You know, I'm thinking about that and I'm thinking about raising a son and I, I'm thinking about bills and I'm thinking about, you know, my day and my calendar. And, and, and in and, and the mind, it just begins to wander, wander, wander. That's, that's, that's so common in my prayer life. And I've never, I don't think I've ever, and I guess maybe this is a challenge for you this morning. I don't think I've ever come to a place where I've said, you know what? That's got to stop. I've got to fix that. I, 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 I've got to learn. How to work. I got to learn how to pray. I got to learn how to focus. I got to learn how to be alert. I got to learn how to be sober minded. I got to learn how to spend time with Him. And that when my mind starts to wander, there's something, there's a mechanism that brings me back to where I'm supposed to be intimacy with God, conversation with God, focusing on the cross, having His burdens be my burdens. Prayer. The most important thing that you have to do today is prayer. I want to suggest to you this morning that, that it's a key. That it, I, I'm going to say it's the key to your spiritual journey. Prayer. It's the key to your spiritual journey. I talk about I talk about what's the most important thing that you have to do today. What's the most important thing that you have to do today? And look, some of you think, well, you know, it's probably telling other people about Jesus. Or it it might be serving in my place of ministry. Or it, it, it might be, in Jesus' name, loving my family and taking care of my family. There's a lot of things that come to mind when I ponder what's the most important thing I have to do today. What's the most important thing I have to do today. And my suggestion to you is my belief is, is that there's, there's nothing more important than going to God and thanking him for what Jesus did on the cross for me every day. And allowing that experience To take my prayer life where God wants to take my prayer life. One of the reasons I say it's the most important, one of the reasons I say it's an absolute key in your spiritual journey is because there's power in prayer. That prayer is where our power comes from. Where do I get that from? I get that from Jesus, I get that from his earthly ministry. I get that from what he accomplished. There's this this aspect of Jesus that that we either don't know or we tend to forget. From the time that I was able to understand, I have believed. I don't think I've ever doubted this. I really, really don't. I have believed that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. God. 100% 100% God. As much God as God the Father. As much God as God the Holy Spirit. Jesus is God. And yet, in his time here on earth, he was 100% man. He never stopped being 100% God. But listen, what does it mean that he was 100% man during his time here on earth? Philippians 2 tells us what that means. That when he came to earth, he set aside All of the attributes of being God. That means that when Jesus was on this earth, he was not unlimited in knowledge, he was not omnipresent, he was not all powerful. And we see that in his earthly ministry. He didn't know that John the Baptist had been beheaded until somebody came and told him. He didn't know Lazarus was sick until somebody came and told him. He, he, the Bible says that he grew in wisdom and knowledge, that he grew in that. He says to the disciples, when the Father teaches me something, I teach it to you. So in his, in his earthly experience during his, during his 33, 33 and a half, whatever it was, years here on earth... He was 100% man. Did he ever stop being God? No, he never stopped being God. But his experience here on earth, he was 100% man. And we see Jesus demonstrating unexplainable power in his ministry. But every time that we see him demonstrating this power, you can see it in the gospel accounts He has spent time in prayer. He went out and spent all night praying before he selected his disciples. Last week, we spent time talking about his agonizing, agonizing prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus makes this incredible statement to us. He says, when I'm gone, you're going to do the same works that I've done really? No, he finishes that verse and he goes, you're going to do greater works than I have done. 95% of you don't believe that that's true. Maybe it's 99% and maybe it's 100. You don't believe that's true. Jesus said that. And how can that be? That can be through prayer, through the power of prayer. That can be that that our prayer life is what directs us. That can be that our prayer life tells us what to say and who to say it to and where to go and how to minister and how to love and how to serve. All of that comes from our prayer life. Jesus walked around in his earthly ministry healing people. But you know what? He didn't heal everybody. He could have. Why didn't he? Because his father didn't tell him to. He only healed the people his father told him to heal. He only ministered to the people his father told him to minister to. When his father said, go to Galilee, he went to Galilee. When his father said, go to Jerusalem, he went to Jerusalem. How did he understand all of that? Through prayer. When he, when he comes upon a, someone that his father has told him to heal, listen to me. A lot of you would disagree with this. It wasn't by his power that he was able to heal. It was by the power of the Holy Spirit that he was able to heal. It was by the power of the Holy Spirit that he calmed the storm. It was by the power of the Holy Spirit, not his own power... But by prayer, understanding what God called him to and what God wanted him to do and his obedience, his step of faith, it's by faith, the faith the size of a mustard seed, that you can say to the mountain, be cast into the sea, and so shall it be. And Jesus had that incredible faith that when the Father said, do something, he took that step of faith and he did it, and he did it through the power of the Holy Spirit, which he accessed through prayer. And when I'm gone, he said, you'll do the same works that I did. Even greater works will you do than I did, and yet we don't pray as we ought. But we're going to pray this morning. It's work. You have to focus. I. I this is really just a suggestion to you. I think a focus on the cross is how we ought to pray. I, 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 I say that to you because when my mind starts to wander, I need a place to go back to. And so I've been practicing this for the last week. When I have a, a time of prayer, whether it's a, in the car for three minutes or, or it's, it's, it's kneeling by my bed for 30 minutes, whatever it is, if it's meeting with a group of men and having a time of prayer, whatever it is, I, I know my mind's going to wander. I know that. And, and, and when it begins to wander, what am I going to do? And what I have done for me is go back to the cross, and focus on the cross, all the aspects of the cross. I'm telling you, in my time of prayer this past week, I have tried to even sense the, the wood the cross was made of and the splintery parts of it, and, and I, I thought about the nails, as Arthur mentioned earlier, and I thought about, I've thought about the hammer, and I see Jesus there, and it brings me back to this place of conversation with God. It brings me back to this place where now I'm open to, to, to be discerning about what he's called me to and where he wants me to go and what he wants me to say and who he wants me to be with prayer now i want to share with you a passage of scripture and then we're going to have a time of prayer last week we looked at luke 22 jesus was in the garden it's when they came to arrest him before his arrest we see jesus in prayer in this in this focused sober minded alert kind of prayer where he is he is one with the father in prayer this agonizing prayer this prayer that is that is so intense that he begins to sweat drops of blood we see him in prayer, and they they come and they arrest him, and it, the the story in the Gospel of Luke moves into the twenty third chapter, and we see him taken, and we see we see him go through. Um, most people have called them trials. Uh, They're they're a little bit more like hearings where he he, he goes to the Jewish leaders and the Jewish leaders know they have no authority to to put him to death. And and so they send him to Pilate and Pilate wants nothing to do with this man. And he sees no guilt in this man and he sees no interest in this man. And so he sends him to Herod and, and Herod says, well, well, this man's from Galilee, that's not my jurisdiction, but since you're here, why don't you do some miracles for me, Jesus? And he makes fun of him, and he mocks him, and he puts a purple robe on me and he sends him back to Pilate. All of this is in Luke chapter 23. And Pilate is in this, this incredible difficult situation and he wants to let Jesus go he knows that Jesus is innocent in the gospel of Matthew we learn that even Pilate's wife comes to Pilate or actually sends him a note and says please have nothing to do with this innocent man I've been having dreams about this run from him have nothing to do with him let him go But Pilate is is caught up in in what I think is is peer pressure more than anything else in what the world wants to do and what popular opinion is. And they're yelling at him and yelling at him, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate goes, look, let me give you Barabbas instead. He's a murderer. He's a thief. He's deserving of crucifixion. And, And you let Jesus go and I'll give you Barabbas. No, they said, we want Jesus. and he caved into what the world wanted just like we do. Just like we do. Where we'll defend him to a point but ultimately we kind of cave to what the world wants and he hands Jesus over to the people and he is beaten half to death. They put a A cross on his back. And it says in verse 26 of Luke 23, and they led him away. There he goes down the Via della Rosa with a cross on his back after he had beaten, been beaten half to death. Picture him if you can. And on that road they seized one Simon of Cyrene who was coming in from the country and they laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them... Can you you picture that? Can you see him following his cross and... It was, it was like this um, entourage of, of women who were weeping and wailing. But turning to them, verse 28, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, "Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed." And then they will begin to say, "To the mountains, fall on us; and to the hills, cover us." For if they do these things, picture the crucifixion, picture the the prayer in the garden, the those trials, the beating. The throwing the cross on his back, the crown of thorns, him walking to Calvary, if they, if they do these things, if they nail him to a cross, this innocent man, if they do these things, when the wood is green, what will happen when it, was, when it is dry? I think that this is a very, very important statement that Jesus makes to these women, and I think it has everything to do with the cross and prayer. And he looks at them, and they're hysterical. I've been to just a couple, maybe three funerals where I have seen this. I've seen it. I know what it looks like, this this hysteria, this wailing, this yelling, this crying this weeping. It's uncontrollable. There's nothing you can do except put your arms around somebody and just hold them. It's like nothing I I have ever experienced before. That's what these ladies were doing. And and they were hurting for him, and they knew what was before him. And, And I don't even know if they were followers of his. It doesn't say they were followers of his. They just had compassion on him. I'm telling you, if you've ever seen The Passion of Christ, the Mel Gibson flick, it's been ten or 15 years ago now but I'm you don't have to be a believer to watch that and shed tears I think that was these ladies experience they were wailing and weeping and Jesus turns to them and he says don't weep for me weep for yourselves what could that possibly mean There's a, a lot of different commentators who, who take this, these, these words, this, you know, if, the, if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? A lot of different opinions on that, but there's one thing I think that they would all agree on, and he's talking about God's wrath. We don't understand God's wrath, and we treat it lightly. Here's the reality. Here's the question. When God sent his son to a cross, what was he saving us from? He was saving us from himself, he was saving us from his wrath. Jesus understood God's wrath but we don't understand God's wrath. I know that we don't understand God's wrath because if we truly understood God's wrath, we would have a burden for all those who don't know Jesus. I mean, mean, we would have the kind of burden that we would pray in agony just like Jesus prayed in the garden for them. And so I take these elements and I kind of string them together. The cross... And all that it means to us. And prayer. The most important thing that you have to do today. Prayer. And God's wrath. And so part of my prayer is I'm no longer under God's wrath. And I want to thank God for sending Jesus to the cross. And then it makes me think about those who are still under God's wrath. Do I care? What drives the vision that God has given us, please get that. What God has given us is children who have never heard the name of Jesus who today are under God's wrath. Does that bother you? What, what drives the vision that God has given us is 50,000 people in Palomino, Aquas Galantis, Mexico, who have never heard the name of Jesus. And today they are under God's wrath. So, I want us to pray. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to prove me right. Because I'm going to ask you to pray for five minutes. Can you focus on the cross for five minutes? It's going to be hard. It's going to be work. Did you expect to work when you came to church on this Sunday morning? I'm going to pray right up here on my knees. I'd love for you to come, join me, pray up here. Five minutes. I'm going to focus on the cross. The first thing I'm going to do is thank God for sending Jesus to the cross so that I am no longer under his wrath. If you're here this morning and you think to yourself, you know what? Uh, The God that I've been taught about is a good God and I'm a good guy and God wouldn't send me to hell. You don't understand God's wrath. I, I beg you not to say that. Don't, don't say that. Don't feel that way. The reality is, is we have all messed up and every single one of us will stand before a holy and a just God and he's no weakling. And all of those who are not under the cross will be separated from him for eternity in a place the Bible calls hell. And it's no party. And so in this time of prayer, maybe God would bring you to a place of burden for those who are under God's wrath. Five minutes. I'm going to even time it. That's real spiritual, isn't it? I just want you to know how hard it is to pray for five minutes. Focus on the cross. When your mind starts to wander, bring it back. Bring it back to the cross. I'm going to kneel right here. I invite you to come and join me. Let's pray together.